From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki at Squids, and on today's special live show, I talk with a licensed mental health counselor about the harms of diet culture and its prevalence during the holidays. We cover the basics and address your questions. Rachel Tuckman is awesome. I've interviewed her previously on the show, scroll all the way back, it's one of the first episodes, and since then, we've become great friends. It's currently a week before the Jewish New Year, which kicks off a month of holidays, which means a lot of food and a lot of diet talk. In this special live episode of Be Impactful, which we recorded on Instagram Live, Rachel breaks it all down and gives some tools for the season. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm excited about this. This is going to be really fun, especially just because I know that this is one of your favorite things to talk about. So this is this is going to be really fun. I want to dive right in. Um, and the, the topic that we're talking about, like we've said, is diet culture and diet talk specifically around the holidays. So yes. can you, let's just start with the general overview. What is diet culture? What is diet talk? Okay. So diet culture is actually something that was, hold on, let me grab my little book here was defined by um, Christy Harrison, and she is a registered dietitian, and she actually wrote this book, Anti-Diet, which is, I highly recommend if you wanna learn about diet culture and rejecting diets, and just, um, you know, trying to learn about intuitive eating, it's a great book to read. But she defined diet culture as something um, that worships thinness and equates it with health and moral superiority, right? So there's this like thin ideal, if you're skinnier, you're better, you're smarter, you're you know, a better employee, you're a better person, you're a better girlfriend, a better everything. Um, it promotes weight loss as a means of attaining a higher status, right? So like we see when people lose weight, we're like, oh my God, she's incredible. Like, you know, we can even think about Adele, Adele's weight loss, how everybody is going crazy about how incredible and amazing she is and forgetting about all her musical accomplishments and what an amazing singer she is. We were just obsessing about how she looks. Um, it demonizes certain ways of eating while elevating others. So donuts and chips are terrible. Pizza is disgusting. Kale salads are delicious and like no carbs, you know, sugar is awful. Dairy is terrible. Just like demonizing foods. Um, and it oppresses people who don't match up with that picture of health. So fat phobia is a very real um, and very serious issue where we look at people in bigger bodies and we assume, oh, they must eat a ton. That's why they're fat or they don't care about their health, they don't exercise, that's why they're fat, or they can't move, that's what, you know, they're fat, so they must be slow, and they can't run, and they're not good at sports, and we just assume things about them because they're in a bigger body. Um, so that's what diet culture is, um, and it's a very harmful culture that we live in, and you don't even have to be on a diet or be someone that, like, has any kind of stuff about weight. It could be that you're just very weight neutral and you don't care, but you are being, you are caught up in diet culture because we live in this society. And the more we learn about diet culture and the more we learn about its influence on us, the more we see how much it has infiltrated our lives and how it's around us everywhere we look, you know? So what, how is diet talk, which is 
but how, how is diet talk different from diet culture? Is it like a, a symptom of this assigning moral superiority to eating a certain way or to looking a certain way or to being below a certain weight? So diet talk is a part of diet culture in that diet talk will be like, oh, I feel so fat. Oh, I don't fit into my dress. Oh my God, I feel huge. COVID-19 gained the 19. Oh my God, I'm, I, you know, I have to stop eating carbs. Oh, I don't let myself have sugar. Um, you know, just again, all those things about demonizing food and saying that you go to the gym, you know, only to lose weight or, oh my God, I had a huge meal yesterday. I got to go to the gym double time today or Rosh Hashanah's coming. I have to like fast, but I wish there was a fast before and a fast after, you know, so that I like that we have to compensate for what we eat and what we're going to eat. Um, a lot of fear around food and, and I mean, if you even think about it, how anxious people get, and that's why I'm so glad we're having this talk before a holiday, because there's so much food, people are terrified, you know, and then they talk about it, the diet talk. Oh my God, I can't, when I go to my mother, she serves so much food. I can't deal with it. I can't, the menu and this and that. So diet talk is really anything that talks about that ideal body size, that fear mongers around food that creates shame around your body and how you look and your size and your growth or any of that, um, just really harmful. Anything that really is putting down yourself or others or creating, again, kind of perpetuating that unhealthy relationship with food and your body. Right. And why is that so harmful? Why is existing in this space where we're constantly, like you said, assigning this moral superiority to food and to the way that we eat, why, you know, some people say, I like the kale, the kale salad. That's what I want to be eating. This, this, I feel better when I watch what I eat. How, how, why is it so harmful to be in that mindset? So if you like kale salad, like go for it. Amazing. Like, and, and that's something that people think like when you're anti-diet, it means you're anti-healthy food or anti, you know, anti-salad, anti-salad or anti-exercise. Being anti-diet is not anti-health. Being anti-diet is pro health. So yeah, eat the salad, but eat it because you actually like it and not because you're afraid that if you order the pasta that you really want, that you're going to gain weight. So when you, when you start um, embracing and adopting intuitive eating, you'll find that sometimes you will choose the salad instead, but it'll come from a place of, you know what, that's what my body's really craving. I'm not ordering the salad because I really want to get the panini, but like bread is bad. Carbs are terrible. Cheese is going to make me fat right? So you're allowed to have those things. But the harm of diet culture and diet talk is that that the same things like I feel fat or I, or this is bad for me, or I need to lose weight or I'm disgusting or I'm scared. I can't eat this or I need to work out because I'm gross. Those things are actually correlated with lower self-esteem, a greater likelihood of developing an eating disorder, less strong friendships. Um, and food obsession, weight cycling, rebound overeating, right? So we end up sicker when we obsess about our bodies and about restricting and about dieting than if we would just kind of like let ourselves just live and just listen to our bodies and not be thinking about food. And I mean, it's also harmful because again, that diet talk and that diet culture is very much correlated with racism and fat phobia and ableism and ageism. Because again, diet culture... Um, really believes that it's it's oppressive, right? Because it says there's only one body ideal, it's thin. And if you are in a bigger body, you need to do everything you can to get into that smaller body. Everybody is supposed to look the same way. It doesn't leave any room for diversity, for body diversity. Um, and it doesn't accept the fact that 
there's so many things that go into how a person is built and what their shape is. And that one of those things is genetics, right? Genetics very much dictate how you are going to be shaped, your height, your weight, your hair color, your eye color, your skin color. All of those things are determined by your genetics, your DNA. So, you know, we're, we're able to accept that about a person's shoe size or hair color, but when it comes to their body size, we say, no, 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 everybody has to be X weight. And if you're not, you're overweight, right? Or you're obese, right? So then we start kind of shaming people that they don't look that way. Um, And then we know that there's all kinds of health issues that come along with weight stigma and fat phobia and shaming people. What is an, what's a health issue that arises? Because we're all used to hearing about health issues that arise from being overweight. Um, one of the most common questions that I got when I um, put up that box that we were doing this live um, yeah. and that we were doing this live recording was that, you know, some, some it's, it's unhealthy to be overweight or some people need to lose weight for they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol or, or whatever it is. We're going to, yeah. that is definitely something that we're going to address. What I, what I want to know from you now is what is some of the health issues that arise from the stigma of being over a certain weight? Okay, so actually I have a bunch of studies because I know people always ask me about this and I actually have to post them on my page just so I can have like the links so that people can actually read the science themselves. But this is stuff that has been like years and years of research that like, this isn't just like new stuff. This is like 30 years of scientific papers. Like I just have tons of them. I print them out as I get them. I read them. I highlight them. I underline. Like I really- I love how you came with homework. (laughs) No, this is just stuff that I always have handy. what I do. And, and there is, you know, there is science. So we know that, that there are real serious health um, implications for people that do face weight stigma and fat phobia, which could be, again, things like um, heart, like cardio, cardio uh, vascular issues, blood pressure problems, all of these things that come along with that people think are a result of being fat are actually a result of weight stigma, right? So people, end up with poorer health because they are afraid to go to the doctor because they're going to be shamed and they're going to be told you need to go on a diet. So then we see poor health outcomes for people in bigger bodies. Um, And so actually this paper here that I have here was looking at like so many different, um, they basically do like reviews of, of all the science out there. And they were looking at all the epidemiological studies about people who are in bigger bodies. And they found that, um, actually people who were in bigger bodies lived longer than people in smaller bodies, right? That they had actually a decreased risk of of, um, mortality, right? Which is like death or, you know, um, being sick. But when they were facing weight stigma or fat phobia, um, that's when we saw increased um, health factors that were harmful to them. So we, we want to know that we want to, and that's why there's so much of a push also for doctors to start evaluating, like, maybe we shouldn't be pushing weight loss. Maybe should, we should be pushing just healthy behaviors, right? So you don't have to lose weight, but maybe, yeah, let's push exercise and, and improve diet, which means not restricting. It means adding in more fruits and vegetables and water into your diet, improve sleep, reducing stress. Do you smoke? Do you drink? Stop smoking, reduce your alcohol consumption. Let's stop looking at a number on a scale. And let's tell people to, you know, have better habits because those things we know long-term increase cardiovascular health, metabolic health, you know, lower blood pressure, um, better cholesterol, all those kinds of things, all those health risks go away. And that's actually one of the studies that I have here. All of those health risks go away when a person engages in healthy behaviors. So all those 
things that we associate with being in a higher body and we say, oh, but if you're fat, like, you know, you, you have a higher risk of diabetes or cardiovascular disease, all of those things actually go away independent of weight loss. So whether or not you lose weight, when you, you engage in healthy behaviors, all of those risks go away. Um, so you're saying that even things that, something like exercise, which we would associate, I know plenty of people who work out to lose weight, they work out to burn calories. Yeah. And you're saying that instead of saying, you know, you need to lose 30 pounds, so therefore go to the gym, the five days, three days a week, or whatever the amount is, regardless of what the weight outcome is, regardless of if you lose a pound or not, I need you to take a walk every day or something like that. Engage in some kind of movement that makes your body feel good because that's good for your health, your mental health, which is, you know, obviously connected very much. It's the same thing as your physical health. Any kind of activity is good. And again, fat phobia and weight stigma keep bigger people out of the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. Everyone's going to judge me and think I'm a fat whatever and that I can't move and I'm and I'm embarrassed because everybody there is skinny. And so again, that goes back to the effects of fat phobia and stigma. You're embarrassed to come to the gym. So they're not working out. So lack of physical fitness is what is contributing to poor health outcomes, right? And again, so many of these studies that I have here show there's there's actually tons of research on people who are fit fat, right? That they live longer than people who are thin and are not fit. So again, it's all about exercise. It's about our physical health. It's about our mental health. And that's something we'll talk more about as we get more into this, like about how we are approaching the holidays with our family and how we approach our relationship with food and our connection to our communities and our financial health and our spiritual health. Like health is not just what you eat and how you move. Those are two teeny tiny factors of your health. And you can do all of the wonderful things. You can be on the strictest diet and you can work out daily for years and years, but you could still have poor health outcomes because your genes suck, you know? Really, that's just one teeny tiny piece those things though. So yes, it is great to engage in healthy behaviors and to try to, you know, if you do have bad genes to say like, Hey, like I know my family has heart conditions. So I'm going to try to engage in those behaviors that lower my risk. But again, nothing's a guarantee, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. The, right. The, it's impossible to, to say, you know, if only health were as simple as saying like, I need you to do these 15 things and then you'll be fine. And that's yeah, just yeah. not, that's just not how this works. I do want to, I do want to ask the question that I'm sure most people um, have now, and that certainly was the most common with everything that came up. And that is, you know, conditions like diabetes, high blood, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. These are things where it's, where people need quote to lose weight. What, what's the, just go like respond. <laughs> So again, that's like a really big misconception about diabetes, that diabetes is caused by being in a higher weight or from eating too much sugar. That's like a big common misconception. Um, and there's actually a great account. She's a dietitian who works specifically with diabetes. Um, Go Feed Yourself is her account. And she talks a lot about um, a weight neutral approach to um, treating diabetes. And she is never an advocate of putting people on diets because the ironic part is that, right, what diabetes is, is your body's inability to um, to use insulin efficiently in your body, right? So what people do when they put them on diets, when doctors put them on diets, they're essentially causing insulin resistance again, because weight cycling causes that same problem. So the, it's counterproductive to be putting people with diabetes on diets. Instead, what we should be doing is there's medications that help with diabetes. 
exercise is a big piece and talking about um, mindful nutrition, right? So making sure that, you know, they're eating at regular intervals, they're checking their blood sugar. Yes, there are considerations that they have to make or dietary changes, but they're not restrictive, right? It's more teaching them how to include more foods that are actually healthy for their specific condition and can balance blood sugars and whatever it is that they need. That's kind of the approach that they take because they find that more restrictive measures with diabetes actually worsens their condition. To play it, to play devil's advocate for a second, um, all of the, you know, when you talk about weight cycling, that's someone who loses, loses weight and then gains it back and then loses again and weight and gains it back, that kind of yo-yo dieting. Yeah. If you, an argument can be made that if there's problems with weight cycling, then the solution is I need to lose weight and I need to keep it off. You know, that it's, if it, it's my fault or it's the patient's fault or whoever that's going to um, you know, if I was really committed, if I had more willpower, if I was more dedicated to this, if I prioritized myself, then I would be able to keep the weight off and I wouldn't have that weight cycling issue because you can't go back down if you only, if you never go back up. So my answer to that is like, that sounds wonderful and beautiful, but we know that there is evidence that 95% of diets fail and only 5% of people are ever successful and able and, and able to keep off their weight. And even then, it's a real struggle for them because what they do to keep that weight off is that they're obsessing about food, they're obsessing about exercise, they're obsessing about the calories that they bring in. So they're never really living. They're constantly in a state of restricting and not eating enough. Your body biologically will not let you stay at that lower weight because we have something called a set point range in our bodies. And that's a weight that your body wants to stay at in order to function optimally. And it changes throughout your life because you have different dietary needs as you get older. So when you're young, you know, so, you know, most of us when we were younger or some of us when we were younger, you know, we look back now and we're like, oh, I was so, why did I think I was so huge? I was such a cute little kid. Maybe if you were even in a little bit of a bigger body, you might be bigger now than you were when you were 16. And you're like, what on earth? Like, why did I think I was so, you know, but your body changes as you age, your body changes as you have children, your body changes. This is what bodies do. We're supposed to change. Like we're not supposed to stay the same, you know, weight that, that we were when we were 15, 16, 20, 30, whatever it is. So people could say, oh, if you just kept it off, then you would be fine and you wouldn't weight cycle. But my answer is, it's not possible to keep it off because biologically your body will not allow you to and what your body will start doing. And that's actually in another book that I have here, which I'll show you afterwards. But what your body will biologically start doing is it'll start driving up your hunger hormones and it'll start saying, Hey, like I'm hungry. Like what you're eating is not enough. I need more. And so it'll start making you want to eat more and craving more of those carbs and whatever it is. And then if you try to still continue restricting, then your body will say, okay, fine, whatever you're giving me, I'm going to hold on to, and I'm not going to burn and I'll turn it into fat so that I can stay warm and I can stay safe. So your body will fight you. It will not let you drive your weight down anymore. It won't let you keep it down. And that's why there's that plateau in dieting, right? Like yeah. I'm following the plan. How come I'm not losing? And then your dietitian or whoever it is, is like, oh, you must be cheating oh, did you have cake at the party? Like they try to blame you. When right. in reality, your body is just trying to save you. Your body's saying, no, is this like, are we in a famine? What are you doing to me? Your body doesn't know. It just wants to keep you safe. So it's going to keep fighting you. So that's why we say like, we need to just trust our bodies that they know the weight that they're supposed to be at. And that might not be a weight that you are comfortable with because that's not the ideal that you've been shown. 
you think that you're supposed to be X pounds or you're supposed to be X size, but that's not what your body wants to be. And that's why I think that body um, acceptance and body positivity and body neutrality is so important because if we believe that bodies are healthy, at, they can be healthy at any size and that there's not one size that's healthy and thinness is not the healthy body, right? It right. Could be health at every size means that every kind of body can be healthy. It doesn't mean everybody is healthy, but every kind of body can be healthy. And you can't just determine someone health by, by looking at them saying, oh, you must be, you must be healthy because you're skinny. You're probably not because you're fat, right? right? So we can't do that. We can't determine pe people's health just by looking at them. So we want to um, understand that diets don't work. So it's not a matter of willpower. And that's what a lot of diets will tell you, right? Right. Well, that, that to me is, diet. I mean, and in a lot of ways, listen, it, we would be remiss if we didn't say that there is an industry built around dieting. There's an industry, there are people who make millions, if not billions of dollars every year on, based on making women feel awful about themselves and based on, based on making us feel like we need to look a certain way. And whether that's a diet or a makeup or a, a plastic surgery in an extreme example, whatever it is, those are all things that you can be constantly made to feel like you need. And somebody is making money off of that. And that system only works if well, the, if we are assuming the system is infallible, you know, the, the shakes, the bars, the juices, the whatever, they work. So if you're not losing weight, then what's the variable here? The shakes work. We know that works and you're the one doing it. So you must be the problem. And that just feeds into that same cycle of, well, okay, well, if I'm the one dieting and the diet works, so I'm not losing weight, then there must be something wrong with me. That makes you feel insecure. That makes you feel like you need to invest more money on the coach, on the shake, on the meal plan, on the whatever it is to, to continue chasing that ideal that is just not possible. It's just, it's a, it's a moving target. Yeah. And listen, when you start a diet, you probably will lose weight, right? Because if you're restricting your calories enough, you will lose weight, but you won't be able to keep it off. And that's the point. You will lose weight when you start a diet, most people, depending. Sometimes if you dieted enough, your body won't let you lose that weight anymore. It'll actually bring you at a higher weight than you started, right? Because it says, what are you doing to me? Like, you're doing this again? Like, I don't know. Like, we gotta go, we gotta do this road again. I gotta yeah. teach you this thing again. Okay. I'm gonna hang on to everything because I'm scared that I may never get food again. And your body does that. That's it's really an incredible thing how our bodies are really built to protect us. So yeah, you will lose weight in the beginning. And that's why people say, well, diets do work. They do work. Yes, you will lose weight. You will not keep the weight off. 95% of diets fail. And that's research that again has been over 35 years proven that they've been looking at diets. There are no long-term studies to even show the success of dieters. And the reason is because nobody manages to be long-term to show that they were successful on a diet. They drop out, they gain the weight, they, and the only that little 5% of people that are dieting successfully, right, that they kept the weight off, either they have a vested interest in doing it, so they're a coach on a plan, you know, so they need to keep that. They're obsessively talking about their diet and going back on the diet and losing weight. Um, or like I said, they're spending their whole lives counting their calories and not eating the birthday cake and not going out to dinner with the friends and being terrified of the bread. And that's not a life to live, you know? So right. some I actually have one, one person in my, one person who I'm very close to who has successfully, they probably lost, I want to say about 50 pounds, probably about 40 years ago and have since kept it off. But I would not describe this person as happy with their body. 
I would not describe them as someone who feels confident about the the way that they look. There's certainly someone who is always talking about what they're eating, who every time they're having the cake is, um, is oh, I'm gonna pay for this cake later. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna get on the scale and I'm gonna see that number go up. It's something that is constantly on their mind. And yes. frankly, I'd rather eat the cake. I'd rather eat the cake than just, I wanna just eat the damn cake and enjoy it than be thinking about all of the consequences, you know, all of the things that are gonna go wrong from the one stupid piece of cake, you know, just, Enjoy the damn cake. Yeah. And then if you give yourself permission to eat the cake, you ate it and then done and you don't think about it. But again, when we're caught up in this obsessive culture of dieting, then we eat the cake and then we think about it all day long. Shoot, I shouldn't have eaten that cake. Now I have to go to the, now I can't eat dinner. Now I have to go for a walk tonight and I have to go to the gym tomorrow and I can't have cake the rest of the week and no challah Friday night because I had a cake on Sunday. If you just eat the cake, you eat it done, it's finished. And all those stress hormones that you're building up with stressing yourself out about the cake, again, that's bad for your health. That's bad for your physical health. That's bad for your mental health. It's just not good for you. So I think that when people say, well, what about diabetes and high blood pressure and cholesterol? There are non-diet ways, non-weight loss, weight-centered ways to manage those things. Because guess what? Then people have diabetes. Then people have cholesterol problems then people have high blood pressure. And what do we do for them? We say, hey, exercise, here's medications to take for your blood pressure. You know, here's some dietary interventions, again, not restrictions, things that you should be including in your diet, maybe more fiber, more fruits and vegetables, whatever it is to manage those symptoms. But we don't do the same when a fat person comes in the office. We say, oh, you need to lose weight and that'll solve your problem. But again, that weight cycling, especially for diabetes, that causes more problems because it causes this inflammation and it causes all kinds of other health issues um, from that weight cycling. And yes, we there's weight cycling. That's what happens at yo-yo dieting of gaining and losing and gaining more and, and losing. And you end up at higher weights. The more you diet, you gain back even more than you ever would have been. And so then it's hard for your body to figure out like where it needs to be. Um, so we really just need to kind of like let go of thinking that weight loss is the answer to all our problems. You know, it's, it's not. Right. I think you're going to be annoyed at this question. I know, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because it was something that came up pretty, pretty frequently um, when I put when the I word, put out, the there word out there. And that was, you know, as one last point in this general overview on um, diet culture and diet talk, is there a healthy way to lose weight? Again, the examples that were constantly brought up were um, cases of like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, those kinds of things. But do you think that there is a way that is healthy both mentally and physically to, to lose weight, to pursue weight loss? So to, to pursue intentional weight loss, to say, I want to lose X amount of pounds, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to lose weight, there is no healthy way to do that. Sometimes when we engage in healthy behaviors, we lose weight. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we gain weight, right? But if you are someone who is, you know, making sure that you are eating more nutrient-dense foods and you are drinking water and you are moving more and you are sleeping better and you did, you know, cut back on alcohol and you did stop smoking, then sometimes you do lose weight. Sometimes you don't though, again. So in that case, I would say, it's not the weight loss that made you healthier. It's all those healthy habits that you start engaging in that made you healthier. But again, we say, oh, well, it must have been the weight loss. I feel better now because now I'm not, you know, I lost weight and now I feel good. No, you feel good because you started exercising. You started watching more about, you know, the the health, um, the, the, what's it called? The makeup of the food that you're eating, right? You're being more mindful about your nutrition. 
you're sleeping better, you're drinking more water, of course you feel better, but you're attributing it to the weight loss. Cause again, weight loss is like lauded in our society. Like, oh, that's why you feel happy now because you're thin. Now you can run and jump and move and your life is incredible, but it's really because of the behaviors. Weight is not a behavior. When we engage in healthier behaviors, then we feel better. But again, we're attributing it to being thinner, to being smaller, to weight loss. And that's actually not the case. So is there a healthy way to intentionally lose weight? No. Can you lose weight sometimes by engaging in healthier behaviors and that's okay and that's healthy? Yeah. But again, sometimes when we engage in healthier behaviors, like we start exercising and we start, you know, really taking control of our nutrition, sometimes we gain weight. And is that not healthy? I would say no. I would say if you're gaining weight when you're engaging in healthier behaviors, then you're actually doing, that's where your body wants to be, you know? So for, right. For you, the crux of it is to really focus on, to, I mean, this is, this is something that I just, I really like as being, you know, this, I'm a very action oriented person. I'm always doing things. I'm always someone who, you know, give me the steps and I will do them better and faster and quicker than anybody else. It's really seems to me to be about focusing on the things that you can control. I, not not to worry so much about the number on the scale or I need to lose 30 pounds, instead to worry about I need to get eight hours of sleep. I need to drink eight glasses of water. I need to be eating three servings of fruits and vegetables or whatever it is. Like those to be focusing on your behaviors and whatever happens from those behaviors happens. You will get healthier. You may not get smaller. Right, exactly. And again, we have to shift that goal from thinness, right, for weight loss, health. Right. And that's why to be anti-diet is not anti-health. It's actually really pro-health because then we're actually focusing not on what your body looks like, but on what goes on inside, on healing your relationship with food, on healing your relationship with exercise, on healing your relationship with yourself. Right. That's true right. health. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And it's, and it's that relationship with food that I think makes this kind of stuff so complicated, especially now around the holidays. And that's what I want to pivot to and, and focus on right now. We, I, I always notice in my own life, um, and it's usually before like, I mean, you know, we, we both observe the Jewish holiday. So it's before the big Jewish holiday. So like before now, this time of year and always before Pesach, where it's everybody just gearing up for, I'm going to lose weight in time for the holiday. I'm going to, I'm going to the entire time over the holiday, I'm going to be thinking about what I'm eating. I'm going to be worrying about what I'm eating. I'm going to be, oh my God, once this is all over, once for after all of these meals, then I'm going to be such a balloon. Nothing is going to fit. It's going to be sweatpants every day. Why does, why does all of this pop up more around the holidays? Is it just because there's a higher volume of food? Because there is a lot of food. Right. So we know that like, you know, holiday time for us, it's like Christmas and Thanksgiving, like either really every Shabbos, every weekend is like a Christmas right. Thanksgiving. And then a holiday, especially if it's a three day, you know, holiday, like there's just a lot. We're having these four course, five course meals. And there's a lot of food and a lot of sitting around. And we're not, we're kind of like not in our regular routine of where we might have like, you know, a solid breakfast and then a lunch and then snacks. Like there's just a lot more also richer foods that we normally wouldn't eat. Right. So people get stressed out about that. And then what ends up happening though, is that there is a lot of guilt around the food that you're eating and a lot of fear. Um, and then, then when they come to the table, either they say, okay, I'm going to diet beforehand because like, there's going to be so much food I want to restrict so that I can compensate, like whatever I eat doesn't count because I restrict it so much, but that actually backfires because again, you end up just binging, right? Because you're so hungry and you've deprived yourself. So now your body's like, we need to make up for all the food that you didn't give me the other day. So now we're going to like double down and we're going to eat even more than we would have. So I think it's very important to 
keep nourishing yourself in the way that you have before a holiday, just continue. Eat regular meals, even, you know, so the holiday starts on Friday night this year, like eat breakfast on Friday, eat some snacks, eat lunch, like keep your normal eating schedule. Don't be like, well, tonight we're going to have apples and honey and, and fish and this and that. And I can't, it's going to be too much with the challah and the just eat whatever normally you would eat. Just do that so that when you get to the table and you see what's there, you can take all of it, you know, make a plate of all of the things that you like, that you don't feel like you have to take everything and or not take certain things and, and only take certain amounts. Just like make yourself a nice plate, sit down and enjoy your food. And by doing that, we, we actually, there was actually a really interesting study that they did um, where they looked at the, the effects of how you feel about the food that you're eating and your nutrient absorption. And they found when people were not enjoying their food and they were stressed, they actually got less health benefits from their food than when they actually enjoyed it. And that, and they even looked at people who were eating like, you know, objectively healthier food. So people eating salads and greens and whatever versus people eating greasy Thai food. And the people that were eating the greasy Thai food that were really enjoying it got more nutritional benefits that the people who were eating the salads and were miserable. So our minds have a really strong way of impacting our health, even to what we eat. So if you're eating a salad and you're miserable, you're not getting the health benefits of eating that salad. You may right. as well have eaten the, the bread or the toast or whatever you wanted, but you didn't give yourself because you were scared of the carbs. So if we come to the table with this fear mindset of like, I can't be around food. I can't do it. It's, I'm out of control. It's terrible. We're already setting ourselves up for failure. So we have to come with a neutral attitude. And it's, it's going to be, if this is just something you're hearing about tonight, the first time you're listening to this, you're like, oh my God, you're probably not going to be able to do that on Friday. But I would say, encourage your, you know, in, feel encouraged and say, you know what? I want to read. I'm grabbing the book here. I want to read more about this. I want to learn more about it. I don't want to fear food. I want to have a healthy relationship with a holiday when it comes, I don't want to feel terrified. I want to feel like, yeah, there's some extra food and I can enjoy all of it and then I can move on. So even if I eat more on the holiday, it's just for the holiday. It's not like that all the time. And then when I go back to my regular eating during the, during the week, I don't have to compensate. I don't have to weigh myself the Monday after the holiday. and be, Oh my God, I'm up five pounds. Throw out your scale. It doesn't matter. Weight is so irrelevant. Like the only time you need to know how much you weigh is when you're an infant or a toddler to see how much you're growing. After that, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, so I would say also like intuitive eating. This is a really incredible book. Intuitive eating is not a diet. So if someone's telling you, oh, intuitive eating and you're going to lose weight, stay far, far away, run the opposite direction. Intuitive eating is not a weight loss program. There is zero focus on that. It is about healing your relationship with food and your body and discovering the pleasure of eating and getting rid of all those fears and taking food off of a pedestal and saying, well, I can only have veggies or carbs are bad, or, you know, I can't have soda is terrible or cake is horrible. It's making all foods equal, giving yourself the freedom to really enjoy foods, unconditional permission to eat and feeling safe around food. And again, I think that around holiday time, it really kicks up so much anxiety for people because they don't trust themselves around food, lots of food. And they feel like they have to like eat it all and get it all in because I never eat this way during the year. So let me shove my plate mountains high with food that I'm never going to eat again. And I think something that's really important to tell yourself, and this is something I've heard Evelyn Triboli, who's one of the authors of that book, say, if you tell yourself that this food is always available to you, that you could always have challah. It's not just like once a year or Friday night that you could have it even during the week. 
you know, or you could have the apple kugel whenever you want, or all this yummy Thanksgiving food that we have, like you can make that anytime. It's not just once a year at your cousin's house. Then we feel less like we have to like shovel it all in our mouths with the sense of urgency of I'm never going to see it again. Cause again, our brain gets into that mode of like, shoot, scarcity mindset, right? I'm never going to see this. Again. I need to get it in quick. So if we give ourselves that relaxation, that freedom, that ability to say like, you know what? I could have this whenever I want. And I really can. I'm not tricking myself there. I'm going to be like, you know what? I'll keep the candy in the cupboard. I'll bring the chips in the house, you know, because I'm not scared of it because it is available to me. Nobody's like binging on salad and carrots and peppers, right? Why? Because I know it's always there. So if we just give ourselves that freedom to come to the table and feel safe and feel like, all right, I can take what I want. I can leave what I don't want. If I don't like it, I don't have to finish it. You're not a garbage can, right? If I think it's delicious, I can take more, right? If I feel like I want it, then I think that we can come into the holiday with a lot more of a relaxed um, approach to all of the meals that we're going to be having, you know? Yeah. And this, this question of the guilt around the food and, and especially the scarcity mindset, like you said, was something that was a pretty common theme in the questions that came up and somebody, somebody just wrote in the question box, the best wording, which was, can I eat all the yummy food without feeling guilty? So I'm going to amend that question and say, how can I eat all the yummy food without feeling guilty? Okay. So again, like, and I'm sure some of you, if you follow any kind of like, um, you know, health at every size, intuitive eating dietitians, you'll see like the only time you should ever feel guilty about like food is like if you like stole it from someone, right? Like there's no <laughs> guilt with food, right? Like that's such like, a great way to look at that's such a great way to to think about. It. Like did you acquire it in a legal manner? Good. Yeah. Nothing to feel guilty about. Right? That's did fantastic. You somebody's home or from the grocery store or from someone's hand, no, then there's no guilt in it. And should you be afraid of it? Is it poison? No, then you shouldn't be afraid of it. Like we should never feel guilty around food or afraid of food. And when we do, that's when we have to say like, okay, this is something I need to look at. Why do I feel afraid of this food? Like, what do I think is going to happen? Why do I think that this is bad? Like all food is good and all food fits in our lives at certain times. So birthday cake is great for birthdays, you know, like there's a time and a place for it. And we have to allow ourselves, give ourselves, like I said, that unconditional permission to eat where we say like, there's, there's a time and a place that I can enjoy all foods and I don't have to feel bad about it. And understanding that feeling guilty about it is not good for my health. So I feel guilty about it because I think it's unhealthy, but it's unhealthy to be feeling guilty about food, you know? So again, when we, when we put health in a very narrow box of health is what you eat and how you move, then we're missing the point because health is also your relationship with food, how you feel when you eat food, your, the, re- the relationship you have with the people at the table, your relationship with God, your relationship with your boss, your, like I said, your financial health, your spiritual health, your marriage, your kids, whatever it is, like health is so multifaceted when we reduce it to whether or not you had like that extra piece of apple kugel and how much you weigh after the holiday, we're really doing a disservice to ourselves. But again, that's kind of what diet culture has taught us that health is how thin you are and what you eat. And that is so not what health is. Right. That's, you know? that's just not true. Yeah. Another, and I, I also thought that this was a, a topic that came up a few times, which is also great, which was you know, we, we always, we have those special foods that we make around the holidays, you know, like whether it's something as simple as like grandma's pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving in my house, my grandmother makes this, we call it orange noodles. It's this fantastic lasagna kind of thing that she always makes for like our Hanukkah party and Bobby's orange noodles are all, they're 
they're an event, they're like a thing. How do, um, how do you have these foods that are special for special occasions, whether that's a holiday or just a Shabbos food? How do you, how do you have those special foods without placing food on a pedestal? So, I mean, I think that, 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 like what you were just saying, that example is like such a perfect thing. Like food is about so much more than like nourishment and like calories, right? Food is about memories and it's about culture and it's about family and it's about experiences and it's about Bobby's orange noodles, you know? And like one day, 120, when she's not here, like you're going to eat those noodles and you're going to remember like her cooking them and her bringing them for Hanukkah. And like, it's so, it's such a sentimental thing, you know, the whole idea of comfort food, right? Right. That we food like food is an emotional experience it's not just a physical experience it's not just eat so that you live there's so much um emotion behind food that that's why also when we talk about emotional eating it gets a really bad rap you shouldn't be emotionally eating like what do you mean food is an emotional experience oh i'm a big fan of emotional eating a pint of ice cream does wonders and i and i'm not even ashamed to admit that because i genuinely feel better afterwards Right. And I mean, it can do that for you. But also, I mean, the fact that when you eat, how you feel when you're eating determines if you're going to eat that food again. There's emotion involved in eating, right? So if I feel like I enjoy the food and I like how it tastes and and it's a good experience, then I'm going to go back. And right, that's why restaurants put so much into their ambiance and and what's, you know, the music and the lighting because it's the whole emotional experience. It's that whole you know, it's not just eat your food and get out, right? It's right, a whole right. experience eating. So again, like it's not just eat and that's it. So we to attach kind of like the experience of food and what it means to our eating, like that's a big part of it too. So I would say even that's something to kind of take away the guilt. Like when you start feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. Oh my God, I feel disgusting. I would take a step back and be like, but look, I'm at the table with my family it's the Jewish new year. This is such a special time. Like I should not be focusing on this right now. What do I want to be focusing on instead? I want to be focusing on all the things that I want for this year, for my family, for myself, all the things that I'm praying for, all the things that I want for, for my husband, for my brother, for my sister, for my mother, for someone who's sick, God forbid, or whatever it is. I want to focus on my health, which means I'm not going to obsess about this food. I'm going to obsess about the things that really, really matter, you know? And, and like that extra plate of noodles, like that doesn't matter in the long run because at 120, you know, when, when it's at the end of my days, I'm not going to be like, oh, I really shouldn't have had those noodles. Right. We're right. going to be saying like, I'm so glad that I spent that time on the holiday with my siblings and that I sat at the table and I ate and I enjoyed. And I'm glad that I went on that trip that I didn't say like, I can't go out to dinner for your birthday. I'm on a diet that I went out with my friends for the birthday that I went on the vacation with my family. And I wasn't stressing about bringing carrot sticks to every theme park because I was scared of gaining weight. You want to know that you really lived your life, you know? Right. You want to, you want to know that you, that you allowed yourself to enjoy those moments regardless of what it was that you were eating, regardless of what it was that was fueling the moment, however it is that that you want to think of that. Another really um, kind of category of things that came up was about responding to other people. Um, and, you know, like, like we said, it's the holidays, you're going to be surrounded by a lot of this talk, there's going to be a lot of that um, sentiment floating around. Um, and somebody asked, how do I tell people that I'm trying to focus on intuitive eating and self-love not being skinny? So you could actually say those exact words, you know? So if somebody talks about like diet or whatever, 
you could say, oh, you know, hey, like I've actually like um, this year, like I'm committing to just like staying away from that stuff. I really just want to focus on my health. And a big part of that is just not talking about this stuff and not focusing on it and giving my energy to other things. Um, you could also just change the subject if you want. Like if you have that avoidant personality, oh, hey, like, whoa, cute dog. Or hey, like, oh my gosh, I love that dress. Or, you know, oh my gosh, did you see someone? Did you get a haircut? Yeah, wow. Oh my God, the weather is beautiful. Come sit outside with me. You could change the subject. Um, or you could just be very honest. Like, hey, I'm trying not to talk about my weight or have you heard about intuitive eating? Like I'm reading this great book and like you bring it with you. Oh, hey, I'm reading Health at Every Size. Do you want to take a look at it? You know, when I'm done, you know, you could kind of throw it out there. Um, but you shouldn't be embarrassed to let people know, like, I don't want to talk about this stuff. It's it's hard for me. It's triggering for me. Or again, if you're struggling, you could even just be straight out. Like, you know what? I'm, I've really been struggling with my eating and, and my weight and I'm trying to just stay away from this stuff because I want to like, you know, not focus on that anymore. Um, and sometimes people are respectful of that. And other times they're like, what, why? But sometimes when you right. say that, it starts a discussion like, oh, really? Like, tell me about that. Right. And you could use that opportunity to talk about intuitive eating and health at every size and body respect, you know? Right. I think that also important to note that it's not always your job to educate everyone. And if this is not something that you want to be talking about, don't feel like you need to then, you know, we've just spent 45 minutes talking about this. Don't feel like you need to launch into a 45 minute explanation of diet culture, health, health at every size diet talk and why this is harmful and diets don't work. That's not something that you should feel obligated to take on. It's, um, you, if you, if really just like changing the subject is such a, it's a great, it's a great tool. By the way, when people are just being rude in general, it's just a great, like, oh, did you get a haircut? That's my go-to, by the way. If I ever ask you if you got a haircut, it means you just said something <laughs> stupid. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's- that last time we got together, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, that's, those kinds of things, you know, you don't need to always be the one to be, you know, loud and outspoken about this. And, and you can just say, this is not something I talk about moving on like and that's and that's a perfectly fine way to, to go about it too something that came up in the comments here um on this live and also came up in the question box before was about talking to kids um and how to stop the trend um and more specifically how to respond when your child says something like i'm so fat yeah so this i've actually spoken about a lot um with a bunch of different people on instagram um so if your child says that i'm fat the first thing i would say is like really, really control the urge to be like, oh, no, you're not, right? Because right, when we right. do that, we um, we are basically reinforcing that saying that fat is a bad thing. Right, so instead right. I would say, get curious. What does that mean? Like, where did you hear that from? What does that mean you're fat? And then I would talk about what it means to be fat. Like, yes, there are fat bodies in the world. Everybody has fat. Some have more, some have less. And everybody looks different. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people want to make you feel bad by telling you that you're fat but we don't have to let them. And then getting into a discussion, and I actually have another book here, here's my library of all my books, um, talking about body image for kids. It's called The Kid's Book About Body Image. It's really simple and it's a great discussion starter to talk about diet culture and how society tries to make us feel bad for the way we look and tries to tell us that fat is bad and that we need to change our bodies and we don't. And you can even have that discussion. Like, you know what, some people grow up in houses or just they hear it in on tv or whatever where they think that like being in a bigger body is a bad thing but it's not and just like you have a different shoe size and you have you know different heights and like that's okay it's okay to be in a different body um and again that doesn't mean that they won't be teased like 
they probably still will, or people still might comment on their bodies, but then you arm them with comments, things to say to people. When someone says something about their body, they can say, please don't talk about my body. Um, you know, or like it, my, my weight is not up for discussion or things like that, that just empower them to be able to have a response. If somebody says something about their weight in either direction, that they're too skinny or they're too big or whatever it is, that it's just not up for discussion. Um, so that was, what was the second part of that question? Was, um, was just to have, you know, how do we, how do we educate our children to stop so that they stop this trend? Because, you know, ultimately there are, you know, I think that it's safe to say that a lot of women in our generation are just, this is something that we grew up with and it's something that we're going to need to actively work to reverse. How do we make that not the case for our kids? So it really starts with us and it starts with the discussions that we have and it starts with our attitudes because I would say that the a, a large percentage of where our kids get their ideas of what health is and what a good body is is from listening to us and listening to our conversations with our friends so even if you're someone who's very so for me like I'm you know my kids know all about like diet culture and that I'm anti-diet and that I'm pro-health but then sometimes around when I'm around people friends or whatever it is it comes up and that convert and they'll hear it you know that this one's talking about this diet or or we have a friend on a diet and and they hear about it um so i'll always kind of go back to them afterwards and be like you know i know that you heard that but like you know that that's not something that that we think is that we would do in our family and that i don't think that that's good for us and you know and i understand that people want to do that and we know why people want to be on diets but that's just not like we know that that's not healthy and we know that's not that's not safe to be eating you know those bars all day long and whatever it is um but we really have to be mindful of our discussions and not participating in it so if all your friends are like oh my god i gained so much weight this holiday you don't feel the peer pressure to be like yes i need to get involved in the female bonding and have the weight discussion right because again that's very much how we're also we're brought up to bond that way teenage girls have to talk about how fat they are because that's what girls do yeah you can, it's like sharing bad dating stories yeah you can opt out of the i'm so fat discussion honey you don't have to do it when all your friends are saying that you can stay silent and you can be like hey guys can we change the subject or you know what like hey we're all made the way god wanted us to be like let's focus on something else like we don't have to worry about this now and and change the subject like you don't have to get involved in the my butt so big discussion which again is very much like it's it's we're born like we're taught that that's how girls should like bond we just talk about how much weight we gained and how we don't fit into our clothes so you can opt out of those discussions and again remember like your kids are listening to you they're they're seeing how you respond to those discussions they're listening to how you talk about yourself they see you in the mirror when you're looking in the mirror so don't pinch things and don't ugh things and don't ugh things and don't say food is bad and 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 no you can't have that that's not good for you you're eating too much too many cookies more salad like stop putting food on those you know that hierarchy of food and the pedestals like it really comes from our home and we have to combat all those messages that are out there so the real the real work starts with us you know right um, it seems to me like the you know what, what the tips and the things that you're saying is really how you would communicate any other value you know much very much in the same way where you would see uh, let's assume that smoking is not something that you want your kid to be doing much in the same way that if you they see if they see someone else smoking you would want them to at the very least 
not engage and maybe go a step further and say, maybe you shouldn't be doing that either. That's, that's, a, that's something that you would make really clear. This is not acceptable in our house. That's not something we do. My mom used to always say to us, if you, if any of you ever start smoking, I'll kill you first. I won't even, I won't wait for the cigarettes to do it. I will kill you first. So that was, it was just so clear. It was like, that was not something we mess around with in this house. And that, um, and you can make those obviously not in that same language, but you can make, you can, it's really easy to communicate your values. You do it all the time with your kids. And if you just communicate this as a value that is something that you ascribe to, then, then your, then your kids will absorb that also. We're nearing the end of the hour and I do want to keep it to an hour, even though I know that we could talk about this for like another 10 days and we will for sure do this again. Um, something that you said all the way at the very beginning was that you said your mental health is the same as your physical health. What does that mean? So a lot of the time people think that like mental health and physical health are two separate things, um, but they're actually not. They are just one and the same. Your mental health influences your physical health and your physical health influences your mental health. They're just, it, it's a, a unit that works together. So if you, we know that when you are depressed, that can affect your immune system, right? When you are unhappy, when you have anxiety, you can feel nauseous, you can feel sick, you can get sick, right? A lower immune response is associated with depression, anxiety, all kinds of mental health issues. There is a very much a, a mind-body connection that we know that exists. So when we're not taking care of our physical health, that impacts our mental health for sure, right? So even, you know, again, I don't think that food is medicine at all, but when we're not eating well or we're not moving well and, and we're not sleeping well, you see that affects your mood, right? That affects how your energy levels, that affects how your patience is with your husband, your boss, your kids, your family, whatever it is, right? So that's where the physical is, is affecting our mental. And we know when we're just not in a good space, if we wake up in a bad place or we're dealing with a lot of stress at work, we have very little patience, right? And we don't want to deal with anything that we feel run down. We don't have energy. We don't, we don't have the same zest. We can't move. Our bones ache, right? Our body reacts to that. So it's the same thing. So to say physical and mental health are separate things, they're not. They are one and the same. And so we have to be taking care of, of both, right? Like when you're taking care of your mental health, you're taking care of your physical health. When you're right. taking care of your physical health, you're taking care of your mental health. So when you're at the gym or you're on a bike ride or you're dancing or you're roller skating or you're doing whatever, you're swimming, you are doing for your mind, you know? And when you're reading a book and drinking a coffee or, you know, listening to a podcast or watching really bad TV and it feels good, you're doing good for your body, you know? Right. So we have to like pay attention to these things and understand like both, both, it, it both affect each other. It's, it's the same thing. And we really want to be mindful of that. And we want to, again, it goes back to when you're eating food that you don't like, it's, it's processing up here and then it's affecting how you're processing that food in terms of the nutri nutritional content that you get out of that food, right? It's very much connected. And I think that's actually in this book. I think that research is in there, the body respect. I think she talks about that study in here. So we want to be paying attention to the fact that our thoughts and our actions and our mentality, it will affect us overall, right? right. Health is a right. very holistic, it's not like I said, it's not what you eat and how you move, that's it what you think, who you surround yourself with, what, what money is in your bank account, what neighborhood you live in, who your doctor is, who your rabbi is, who, how you get along with your sisters and your parents. There's so much more to health and we have to pay attention to that and we have to respect that and we have to then make decisions based on how 
our health is going to be affected, um, you know, based on all of these factors. So Looking which, at it as a, as a complete picture. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And controlling what we can control, you know, and obviously the things we can't control, learning how to care for ourselves, you know, with those factors that we can't really control. Right. And the last thing that I want to ask you, Rachel, is, as you know, the last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the Be Impactful podcast, okay. that is to you. You've already answered this question, so I actually am curious to compare it. I'm, I'm, I meant to listen to your episode before, um, but it, it was almost a year ago um, from when we recorded and people change in a year. So mm -hmm. to you, Rachel Tuckman, what does it mean to make an impact? Oh, to make an impact, I guess it just means like I don't feel well under pressure. Making an impact means for me, just like putting things out there in the world, putting good out there in the world that people can decide like, you know, if they want to take it or if they don't, and then they make it their own. So when I put out information there, I don't expect people to take it exactly how I'm saying it and implement it exactly how I, the words I use and the, just that they can take it and they can say, does, is this something that works for me? Is this something that makes sense for me? And then if it does, that they take that and they use it to do better in their lives, to do better for their marriages, for their kids, for their families, for themselves. I just want to know that if I'm putting a message out there, that I am doing something to improve people's lives. Um, and that's why I'm on Instagram. That's why I talk about this all the time. That's why I choose the topics I do. I just want people to do better for themselves. So if I can make people think and make better decisions for themselves to make themselves happy, even if I never hear about it, even if I never know the impact I made, to me, that's like, that's all I want, you know? Thank you so much for coming on today, Rachel. This was fantastic. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel, her Instagram and website are linked in the show notes along with any other items we mentioned in our conversation. There you'll also find links to the most comfortable mask and at-home activities perfect for quarantine, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together and Shana Tova to you all.